0: If we had to rank in importance this part of the story that we're talking about this morning against the other parts, this one is crucial. It's like when you tell your personal history, there are some things that just jump out as being more significant than others. That Robin and I lived for a while in Texas is important. It's not near as important as the fact that we moved to Canada in 1986. Or that we both became Christians in our youth while we were still in Oregon. That Canada won the gold medal in men's hockey in the last Olympics is important. But not near as important as as, uh, the fact that Canada became a federation in 1867. Although sometimes I wonder if I'm wrong. Those things could be reversed. That a presidential election is coming up in a few days is important but not near as important as getting the two sides of the NHL's labor dispute together so that we can have hockey. And so there are some things which are important in life, and we tell those stories, there are other things that even are more important as part of the story. And that's the way this is. It's interesting, when you look at Genesis chapter 11, notice how this, in verse 10, has the genealogy of Shem. And it looks like like you start going through this genealogy and you think, well, this is just a genealogy. We start out with Shem. He's the son of Noah. And then Shem has some children. And they have children. And so in verse 14, there is Shelah. In verse 16, there's Eber. In verse 18, there's Peleg. In verse 20, there's Ru. In verse 22, there's Sereg. And there's lots that are named in between here. But in verse 26 you get to this fellow named Terah. And it simply says that Terah had lived 70 years. Then he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And if you don't know the rest of the story, this just looks like, that's just events. Just part of the genealogy. It's just not that big a deal. But my impression of this genealogy, and of course genealogies are like this, is that it's going somewhere. In fact, it's going somewhere really fast and it's going somewhere really important. And so sometimes when you read these first few chapters of Genesis and you read these genealogies, sometimes it's the genealogy that is actually getting to the important point. And we tend to just rush through those because it's just a bunch of names and it's not all that important, or at least it doesn't look like it's so important. And then you get to Terah and all of a sudden it really does get important. Look at verse 27 and I'm going to read some verses here. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. And again, it just, okay, so we've got some names, we have some children, we have people being born, people die. This is fairly routine genealogy kind of stuff. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And it looks like this is just no big deal. But the fact is, is that a scene is being set. A situation is unfolding here. And you know how you tell a story that a lot of times, as you get to the story, you begin to tell something about the scene so that the story can be communicated in a way that's going to really communicate best? And so it's like this Someone says, There once lived in a house out in the forest three bears. Papa Bear. "'Mama Bear and Baby Bear. "'And one day Papa Bear said to Mama Bear and Baby Bear, "'Let us go to a field nearby and spend our day picking berries "'for winter is coming and it's time for us to get ready.' "'So they did. "'And while they were gone, a young girl named Goldilocks "'who lived in the nearby town and who had found herself lost "'after wandering into the woods also looking for berries "'and who had walked all day trying to find her way back home "'stumbled upon the house of the three bears.'" Now, what I just read is fairly important for the story. But the fact is, is that the story of Goldilocks does not hinge on what happens with the three bears in picking the berries. It doesn't hinge on what Goldilocks is doing as she's stumbling through the forest and finally comes on the house. What's most important is what happens after that. And so all of this is to set the scene. And what we've just read is simply setting the scene for some really important stuff. And it's important to set the scene, but it's not the most important thing. And so the fact that that Terah had Nahor and Abram and Haran as sons is important, but it's not the heart of the story. Instead, the heart of the story is about Abram. And where Abram ends up. And the fact that there's a guy named Abram at all. And all of this prepares us for Genesis 12. And I think it prepares us for what is maybe the three most important verses in the Old Testament. That's a pretty audacious claim. I've got the most three important verses in the Old Testament that I want to read for you now. And I I really think it's possible they are. Because this genealogy, as it leads up to something, leads up to this auspicious moment. Like things have built here. And if you haven't read this before and you haven't got the rest of the story, it might be hard to see. But for those of you who don't understand Terah and you don't know Nahor and you don't get Abram... Let me tell you that what happens in these next few verses is absolutely crucial for everything that we are as Christians before God. And we need to understand, we need to get what's in these verses because it is so important. This is so much the heart of the story. And people have been saying for years that these next three verses may well be the heart of the whole story of the Old Testament. And so let's read these together. These are important verses. Maybe you've caught that by now. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me pray. God, I pray that as we go through these verses here, just for a few moments this morning, that you will open our eyes and help us to see. And especially, God, those who don't know you, Help them to see. Help them to understand who you are and the ways in which you love us. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, if these are indeed the three most important verses in the Old Testament, I better have some good reason for saying so. And I think I do. I think there are good reasons for saying this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I think these verses are all about I'm going to give you four quick points and then I'm going to really labor over the fifth because I think it's really important. The first one is simply this. We see here what is really on God's mind with creation through the fall, through humankind's rebellion and through the redemption of Noah. God wants to establish a people through whom he can bless the whole world. And here he takes a major step in carrying out his plan. God says to Abram, Both you will be a blessing and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And last time I checked, there isn't anybody here who isn't living on the earth. Like we're all now somehow receiving this this blessing that God says he presents to us through Abram. And so if Abram is giving to us a blessing, if God is giving to us a blessing through Abram, then somehow these verses have to stand in our hearts and our minds as being significant. Something back to which we hark when we're thinking of our own relationship with God. The second thing is this. These verses are about the creation of Israel. Abraham is the father of a nation chosen by God. If you ever wondered where the Jews came from, this is it. They came from here. Abraham is the first Jew, the first Hebrew in other places, it says that he's a wandering Aramaean. He's a Jew who gets a relationship with God. God calls him and takes him to the promised land, and he then builds out of Abraham a nation. And the fact is, is that if that's Abraham's story, that's my story. My father was a wandering Aramaean. And my father was called out of Ur the Chaldees, to be what God wanted him to be. And I can't tell the story of Abraham without talking about myself and my own relationship with God because this is foundational for who I am. This is my story. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he was called by God and blessed. I'm not perfect, but I'm called by God and I am blessed and I'm blessed through this heritage, which is Abram. And so this becomes my story. In many ways, this is not just my story. It's also Israel's story. It's a microcosm of God dealing with human beings. And so he consistently deals with human beings in the same way that he deals with a sinful Abraham and a sinful Israel, a people of God that progresses through history and isn't always what God wants them to be. But he deals with them in a way which is instructive for me, helps me, teaches me. Third thing. We learn a key element about God here, and that is that he's a covenant-making God. I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. He longs to be in relationship with people, and he makes covenants between himself and them because he longs to be in relationship with them. Fourth thing, Abraham functions for us as the ancestor, of course, of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. And so the blessing that was to come to the world is the blessing of Jesus. We know that. All the people on earth are going to be blessed, and they're blessed through Jesus. And so, when Abraham becomes the person that he is, the forefather of faith, the forefather of Israel, he becomes also the forefather of Messiah. And if there's no Abraham, there is no Israel. If there's no Israel, there's no Messiah. If there's no Messiah, then salvation is not mine. And so, all of this is totally crucial for who. We are Galatians and Romans makes a point of making Abraham so crucial to this story. But then lastly, and this is where I want to focus really this morning. As I said a moment ago, our God is a promise-making God. He is a covenant-making God. And He is a promise-keeping and covenant-keeping God. There probably isn't anybody in the room this morning who hasn't at some point questioned God. Now, unless your life has gone perfect, Lee, there will there will be questions that at some point would have arisen in your life. Like if nothing else. We hear of a natural natural disaster. Like, remember the huge tsunami that hit indonesia and there were what was it hundreds of thousands of people that died and then just a couple of years later a massive tsunami hits japan and it's like the whole northern end of the of the one island is wiped out and there's a huge nuclear disaster and now we start having things showing up on the shores of bc floating across Sometimes in crates, maybe you heard about the motorcycle recently, the Harley-Davidson that floated across, they found a Harley-Davidson. Like those things happen and thousands and thousands of people die and you end up saying, what in the world is going on? God, what are you doing? We hear of a mass murder or a terrorist attack like 9-11 and we wonder where in the world God is. Tragedy simply not removed from our world. It's not removed from our lives. And it's certainly not removed from faithful people. Mike was telling me this week of a close friend of his who was living in Seattle, had a comfortable job, he was doing fine, heard the call of God to go to Africa and to minister to hurting people. So he left his comfortable position, moved to Africa, and after just a short time, he's driving around, doing ministry, he's on the way up a hill, a truck comes over the top of the hill, out of control, there's a head-on collision, and the person who leaves his comfortable job in Seattle in order to serve others in a third world country is killed in an automobile accident shortly after getting there. And in situations like that, we say there's no justice. And where in the world is God? What is going on in a world where that kind of thing happens? Some of you may have read the, the copy, uh, the, the story of the dewbreakers, which is the story of those first Zambian missionaries. I mean, they were Americans who went to Zambia and began to minister in in that country, the part of the world where Megan is from when Steve and Joan Mann were here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about Zambia. These the dewbreakers they called them. They call them the dewbreakers because as they would make their way through the grass early in the morning, as anybody would, you knock all the grass off, or all the water off of the grass as you walk, and you can see where they've gone. So these people have gone before us, setting a trail for where the rest of us need to go in terms of ministering. And this, these two guys, two fellows from Arkansas end up in Zambia to minister. And they're, they're doing one, great work having to face all kinds of hardships. They have to build huts just like all of the natives. And there's just nothing there, like even like there is today. Today it's really primitive. Then it was even worse. So one day they're out doing some hunting. And one of the missionaries has a spear. And they begin to chase this animal. And in the course of chasing the animal down a trail, he stumbles and falls and he's impaled on the spear. And in the situation that he was in, he's out in the middle of the bush. Medical help is probably days away at the least. And he didn't make it. Like I'd like to be able to say, he made it. God blessed him and things were wonderful. But they weren't. The fellow ended up dying. Sometimes doctors make mistakes and people close to us end up not being saved of a cancer that accidentally was allowed to grow for too long. You guys know that happens. Sometimes close friends betray close friends. Spouses betray spouses and lives are ruined. Sometimes children are given and then something takes them away. And the fact is we don't like any of this. We want things to go well. Or at the very least, if things aren't going to go all that well, what we want are clear answers. Like at least show us, God, what is going on. At least tell me what you're doing. And sometimes the silence is deafening. Sometimes the brokenhearted wants so badly to hear a word about what God might be doing, and it seems as though there's just nothing there. And so we don't even get a satisfying answer to the pain. I remember when I was in—I was seven years old—and my best friend was hit by a car, a drunk driver. He was on his bicycle doing a paper route. Drunk driver hit him, through him ten feet up in the air. He came down. He was dead. And I remember sitting on my mother's lap when I was seven years old. She's holding me. I'm crying, and I—and I said to her, I can remember the words. I said to her. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why it had to happen when I knew him. And it was, in one sense, a totally self-centered kind of grief. Like I was so focused on my own pain. And what could she say? There were no clear answers at that point coming back to a seven-year-old about what was going on. And there were no clear answers two years later when the woman on whose lap I was sitting at that moment herself left this world. And I was left without a mother. I can remember walking out of the principal's office where my father told my sisters and I that our mother had passed away during the night. He came to get us at school and he just took us off into the, to an office and then told us what had happened and we all walked out together and, and got into our car. And I remember taking my baseball glove and just hurling it as far as I possibly could because of my grief and the lack of answers that I felt. Maybe through all His promise-making and His promise-keeping, what God wants to say more than anything is, I haven't left you. I have not left you. The world functions in such a way that it looks hard sometimes and like things are going to crush us. But the promise that he makes to Abraham is a promise that he ends up keeping to the world. And nothing proves his consistency. Like the story that we're telling where God consistently is with his people, his sinful people, building out of them a great nation, building in them a world-changing event eventually in Jesus because he's faithful to his promise to do that for the human beings that he he loves so much. You know, it's so easy for us to choose sin and God sends Jesus. It's so easy for us to turn our backs on him and God sends Jesus. And he knows in advance what we're going to do and he sends Jesus. Jesus. And he keeps his promise to us. He doesn't walk away from our sinfulness. He keeps building relationship and maintaining relationship and reaching out to us. Even though we don't in any way deserve it. And so there's going to be times when you are tempted to scream at him. But he can handle that. There are times when you're going to be tempted to ask him to justify himself. God! You better have some answers for me on why you're doing this. But he can handle that. If you tell him that you don't get it and that you have doubts and that you struggle, he can handle that too. Because he is your father. And he loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And so He makes promises to you and He keeps those promises and at those dark moments when you really wonder and you think, are you really there, God? Are you really working? What is going on here? He wants you to know that at those moments He really is there and that in the end all He wants is for you to trust Him. He wants us to trust Him to be faithful To his promise. To see that he's still with us. And that ultimately he's with us in Christ. And so this thing that you and I face every day. Called faith. Is not easy. This can be hard. This is difficult sometimes. But even in the midst of the difficulty, God wants relationship with you and He wants you to trust Him. Our part of that is faithfulness and hope even when we are challenged. And He promises, I will bless you. Let's pray. God, sometimes our struggles cause us to question. Probably many of us have challenged you. God, we pray that you would move us to faithfulness. And we thank you that you're the kind of God on whom we can depend. Help us, Father, in those moments when we don't see answers, when we don't get it, when we want to ask you the questions. Help us, God, to trust your promises, to see how in your redemptive story you have continued to bless us the way that you blessed Abram. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.